So let me just say, first things first, this is either the start of something amazing or a complete disaster, but either way, Bahamian Twitter is completely at fault and I hope the community is happy. But today is the 19th of July, 2020. In the year, my lord. Aha, uh -huh, finish it. Preach. 19th of July, in the year of our Lord, 2020. Today, Prime Minister, the most, the most doctor, the honorable, the honorable most doctor, honorable doctor, whichever one it is, our Prime Minister has decided to announce many strong actions in the name of saving lives. Our good friend that I'll introduce shortly, Chris Strawn, is currently stuck in Grand Bahama because as of tomorrow, there will be no domestic or international travel to his island. Denzel and I, and I'll introduce Denzel as well shortly, are both in New Providence, where the beaches and parks have been closed once again after persons supposedly abused them. And COVID cases in the Bahamas are on the rise. Today we're talking about that and many other things. And here with me is Denzel Bazard. Hey, Denzel. Glad to be here. Chris Strawn. What's up, Chris? Hey. And I'm Jason Brainin. We'll put the handles somewhere up there. So guys, let's talk. Let's talk. 49 new cases since the borders reopened, which happened at the beginning of this month. 31 of those alone have been on the island of Grand Bahama. So Chris, I haven't been to Grand Bahama in probably like a decade now, but what do you think started this massive increase and why is it so localized to Grand Bahama? Um, I think what really started the increase is the resumption of testing people on the island. Um, mm -hmm. We were bragging about the fact that Grand Bahama did not have any confirmed cases of COVID-19 for a little over two months. And for literally about that entire period, nobody was tested. Um, naturally, you have no cases if you don't test anybody. Um, so it's almost kind of counterproductive to say you have no cases if you're not actually testing anyone. And, you know, frankly, if we were testing more people on the island of New Providence, New Providence would appear to have the same um, outbreak or spike that Grand Bahama is having if, you know, more people were being tested, but nobody's being tested. So if nobody's being tested, then no cases can be recorded. See, what I don't understand is because as far as I know, Grand Bahama is not as densely populated, not in terms of total population size and how close persons are on the island since it's so much bigger than New Providence. So is the increase in testing really that significant and how has the government been executing this testing exercise? I'm trying to figure out if their protocols or modus operandi has changed with how aggressive they're being in their testing protocols. Because if you listen to the Ministry of Health or even our prime minister, it seems like they're following the track that they always have, right? Which is um, if you have suspected contact with someone who has tested COVID positive, then they start going the testing route but is something super different about Grand Bahama than New Providence right now? Are we missing something in New Providence? What do you think? So um, in terms of population density, population density for the island of Grand Bahama is not as much as the population density for the island of New Providence. Um, yeah. 
However, the majority of the people of the island live in the city of Freeport, which is densely populated um, because it's one small area on the overall larger island of Grand Bahama. The population density is also pretty high in Edmar Rock, which is the largest settlement in the entire country, not just on the island of Grand Bahama. So that has to be taken into consideration. Um, in addition to that, uh, even, even as it relates to, to the testing, you know, you've had people that I personally know who lived in houses with confirmed cases of COVID-19 patients and they weren't tested. Mm. I, they live with them, but they're not testing them. And so we haven't been aggressively testing people. And so I guess you can say that nothing has changed in terms of how aggressive we're testing people because we haven't been aggressively testing anyone. And that shows in our testing numbers. If you look at, say, Bermuda, uh, Bermuda's tested, what, 25% of their population? And I think they, that may be Cayman Islands, but Bur no, Bermuda, Bermuda and... Bermuda, both Bermuda and the Cayman Islands have been oh, doing okay. exceptional with their testing. But I think Bermuda in particular um, has done about 25% of their population, and Cayman Islands mm -hmm. has maybe done about 20%. Barbados... Barbados is tested. Barbados is tested. What a little over seven or eight percent of their population. Yeah. And Last you know time the, I checked. the global the global safe number is two percent, and the Bahamas hasn't even tested half of that. We haven't even tested one percent. So, um, you know, it's. <laughs> It's a joke, <laughs> honestly. What we're doing is a joke, and then we make it seem. I I I I think it's funny how we we tie everything into you know the resumption of commercial travel to the U.S. Um, I'm sure it may have some bearing because a lot of the cases uh, were persons or people rather with histories of travel, but the overwhelming majority of our most recent cases had no history of travel. So what does that mean? We, we, can, we can link some of our cases to people coming in from the United States, but the majority of our most recent cases had no history of travel. What does that then suggest? That it was transmissions locally. There was some local transmission of the virus because that local transmission element never left. It was simply just not being recorded. Denzel? Well, I'm sure you all have seen uh, my comments on, on, on the topic, but for us to open up our borders to a country, uh, especially Florida as a state that's the new epicenter of the COVID-19 crisis worldwide, globally, the epicenter, to open up our borders to a country like that was originally nonsensical. What did we expect to happen after that? Obviously, there was going to be an uh, increase in cases if we open up to tourists like that. But the thing is, and obviously, uh, I'm not ignorant to the fact that we had to open up because we needed the revenue coming in from tourists. But my problem is we didn't even speak about diversifying our economy so that in the future, if something like this happens again, 
we won't have to rely on tourists. We won't have to open up our borders to a country that has thousands of growing cases every day. But we haven't even spoken about that. Our government hasn't even spoken about that. Mm. We haven't talked about that as a nation. I mean, so that even- is problematic. I don't think tourism as our number one industry is not sustainable. I mean, even even if we even if we don't even say look at diversifying the economy, to me, because that's not something you can do overnight. But something even in the even in the shorter term, I I I would have I would have been so proud or, or pleased to hear the Ministry of Tourism um, speak about how they are restructuring their marketing programs and yeah. how they're trying to um, market to travelers from the rest of the Caribbean region, travelers from Europe, travelers from Asia, you know, places where they have um, tackled the coronavirus problem better than the United States. And I, I like that's something that's something I was I I, I could have understood. Why? Because um Grand Bahama, Denzel gone again. <laughs> we have direct flights um what twice weekly from here to Milan. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what's the hotel? Club Fortuna. Club Fortuna. They 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 were able to negotiate their own um, their own deal with an airline from Italy. We have direct flights twice weekly from Freeport to Milan. Um, San Salvador has direct flights from San Salvador to Paris because of Club Med there as well. So mm-hmm. it's like, why can't we? Why can't the tourism in the tourism ministry as a whole, as a collective unit, say we are looking at diversifying our product so that we can attract visitors from Europe, from mm-hmm. other markets, as opposed to solely the United States that we've been depending on for the past four, five, six decades? You know, mm-hmm. at this time being, it's not beneficial for us. We can't, um, we can't sustain it, and so we will look to find another avenue to help us sustain what we have going for us. Even something like that, in the short term, I could live with because it shows, you know, it shows some proactive thinking. But we're not proactive. Yeah, I tweeted that today. Actually, I said it's reactive governance. And I hope that people don't, you know, because the longer this pandemic drags on, the easier it is to, like, put Minas up there and beat him with a stick like he's a pinata. But it's not about that, really. It's just about that no matter who is in charge during this time facing this kind of crisis, the machinery or the apparatus of the government of the Bahamas is not well equipped to be flexible and respond to these things in the proactive way that you just said. And I think that's such a sad statement about how unprepared we were as a country. And that really sucks to admit. I know that some persons were saying the other day, you know, tourism isn't a marketing agency, and I accept that. However, we made the decision a long time ago as a country to make tourism a ministry, not just leave it to a private board or the um, private market to deal with. That's a government priority, maintaining our tourism industry. So if it's a government priority, that means there are some things the government can do to spur it along uh, in our national interest. 
and some of the things you just mentioned, trying to create strategic alliances with other countries, particularly the ones who have been COVID-free. I mean, look, I love me some New Zealand. I'm trying to study there one day. And I just feel like their approach to it was so amazing. If you can't replicate their approach, the least you could do is kind of go to them on the side and like, hey, guys, you know, y'all just want a break? Like, come on, you could come straight here and we can make a big deal of it. New Zealand has been riding the press wave um, to kingdom is, come. We, it's, not, it's not as if, you know, getting in contact with New Zealand would be so difficult for us because no what's, the po- what's the point of us being in these international organizations like the Commonwealth of Nations if we're not going to use them to our benefit? You know, New Zealand is in the Commonwealth with us. Yep. So technically, technically, on paper, they're an air shot of us. We're an air mm-hmm. shot of them. You know, say, hey, Kiwis, um, <laughs> if ever you guys wanted to come to the Bahamas, you know, Mm-hmm. Let's let's work that out now. We can work that out. We can figure out how to get that going. And it's like we just either either we don't think of these things, or maybe someone does think of them, but uh, the suggestion is shut down. Either way, it's to our detriment because we we take four steps forward, and then we take five steps back. So, and then we just sit in place. And like when we take until. those five steps back, <laughs> trying to figure out, oh, well, um, maybe maybe we should take three steps next time. No, no, no. Let's make those same four steps, but this time try to figure out how we will take two or three steps back if we do mm. take any steps back so that we're still in a better position than where we were when we started. But it's like, no, we, we went back, so let's, let's not move at all. Yeah, or even move to the side, lateral yeah, moves yeah, as yeah. opposed let's, to let's just, the just, forward just and back come thing. off the line. Let's just come off the road entirely. Just put the hazard lights on. <laughs> you know what this makes me think of? It just saddens me again that we don't have such a relationship between our citizenry and the voting public and our leaders of the country. Because remember, back at the beginning of this stuff, we all used to look forward to Jasper Ward's questioning, right, of the Minister of Health. And I thought that Dr. Sands was doing a pretty good job of answering the questions or deferring to his colleagues in the Ministry of Health or the COVID response team when he could not answer a question. And that was really good? Yeah, it was good. And then there was a point where uh, Dr. Minnis was also fielding some questions with varying levels of success, but now that's completely stopped. And I have a problem with that because it would be so great to ask the competent authority of our country, have there been any strategic conversations between us and other COVID-free nations about uh, the resumption of our tourism product? You could ask that question and you could get a yes, no, or maybe. And then if they say, no, we haven't had this conversation, you have your follow-up and say, why not? Or if they said, we decided to do something else, that wouldn't have been prudent or feasible the way that we think it would be, then you get the chance to discuss in the public domain what your leaders are doing on your behalf. And I don't think that's a lot to ask. It's not like we're sitting there waiting to roast him at a spit. It's just we're intelligent people. We're not a nation um, that, in every regard at least, needs to be babysat. I think sometimes our people, you know, like that treatment, but... We're still adults. We're a sovereign nation. 
We have the right to vote, which means we have some say. I feel like we should be treated more with that respect. Yeah, we know, we know Minnesota's a media problem. Um, he either avoids the media or when he does address the media, his attitude is piss poor, uh, as if he didn't have no broad up seat, and he might as well have continued avoiding the media. And frankly, it's very disrespectful. Um, as a Bahamian, I find it disrespectful um, because the way he addresses the media is not just him personally addressing whomever is asking him questions at that time. It's how he's addressing the Bahamian people um, in general because yeah. they're asking on our behalf. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. his response to them is, by extension, a response to all of us. And it's insulting the way he speaks to them sometimes. So maybe it's a good thing that nobody could ask him questions because, you know, one question I would probably ask is, for instance, when, before, before the borders open up, CARICOM announced that um, we would be reopening our borders as a block first yeah. to each other to spur intra-island travel. All of a sudden, I think St. Lucia was the first one. St. Lucia pop up, say, they opening up their borders, June something, to the U.S. And then after that, I think it was Antigua and Barbuda, they said they were reopening up their borders. Then Jamaica pop up and said Jamaica was reopening up their borders, all of which to the U.S. And then everybody, one by one, reopening up their borders to the U.S. And we follow suit as well. And I'm like, well, what happened to the, you know, the, the opening of the, of the travel within the CARICOM region to help spur tourism uh, dollars throughout the region uh, and allow flights to resume while still uh, maintaining that element of health and safety? But, um, you know, what happened with that? And, you know, we, we won't know because, well, we can't ask questions. That, and it's an opportunity missed. God forbid we ever have a pandemic again, right? But bigger countries, if the Bahamas has never had to prepare for something like this in our lifetimes, bigger countries certainly do have to think from time to time about the doomsday scenario. What if a pandemic occurs? What are the first steps their federal governments can take to mitigate the damage? And I know there was some controversy in the USA because President Obama had spoken about how his administration left in place a plan to deal with pandemics. And the current president of the United States, Donald Trump, very infamously kind of just threw it out the window and didn't care. But we're not going to have a chance to do this over again, thank God. I just think that I'm tired of sitting back and looking at our national response and not feeling anything but annoyance. You know, because there's only so much we can do from here. We're sitting here on a Zoom call uh, commenting and I think making sound recommendations. But ultimately, when we go to bed, it's up to these persons who have been elected. It's now been three years since the election, two years before we get another shot. It's up to them to make the best decisions in the interest of the Bahamas and its people. And all we can do is sit back, comments wait for the next address and hope that things get better and pray a lot of prayer as well. <laughs>
always. God save the queen yep. too. Chris, when you say God save the queen, you're being sarcastic or? God save the queen. <laughs> well, uh, what, we've seen, what we've seen from this pandemic is that our government is disgracefully ill-prepared for anything like this and anything like this happening again. The very bare minimum that should have happened is them at least speaking about, like I said before, the diversification of our economy. We've obviously seen that if we rely on tourism to be our number one industry, as it has been for so many decades, that we are only setting ourselves up for failure. We've seen that with the unemployment right now. And mm -hmm. it's obviously bound to happen again. If it's not a pandemic, it'll be maybe a, a, uh, a recession in the US and then we'll have less people coming in. And then that's another extremely yeah. destructive thing coming, uh, coming into our economy as well. So what we have to do is try to find a way to move away from terrorism. And we can do that. We have agriculture. We've talked about the uh, legalization of marijuana in our country. Don't even get me started. Things um, like that as well. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's up to us to actually go ahead and implement these things. But if we keep relying on tourism, then we will we'll always run into issues like this. Yeah, and they'll just keep happening over and over again. I think a fun little exercise for us to do at this stage would be to go back in time to when this pandemic started and hypothetically imagine that you're at the decision-making table. You're the prime minister of the country. Uh, the emergency orders have been laid out, you have complete authority. Mm -hmm. That's what we know those emergency powers have granted the prime minister uh, the ability to do. What would be the first thing that you do and why? So now you got to put yourself in the mind frame of Dr. Hubert Minnis around the second or third, I think it was the third week in March. And you knew that the first case of COVID in the Bahamas was imminent. It wasn't here yet, but it was imminent. What's the first thing you do and why? Um, as a competent authority in, in that position, um, I, think, I think at that point, that's when we knew most countries were acquiring test kits. Mm -hmm. And it became evident that um, acquiring them may have been a a difficult task. I think personally, that would have been the first thing that I would have done, um, gone about acquiring um, test kits and not just, you know, the 3,000 that we've been holding on to for about the past three months, but um, tens of thousands of them. Um, and, then, and then looking at, at ways to prevent the entry of the virus into the country. And that would have meant the closure of the borders. And I, I think, I know a lot of people will say, oh, well, it's easy for you to say that because you're not in the position now. But um, I know the type of person that I am. And I am a rip the bandaid off type of person. You know, mm -hmm. um, I am the type of person where as 
I would rather, if I was in politics, I would rather be hated for making the best decision at that time. And then in a year afterwards, you realize, wow, that was really the best thing that they could have done. Even if that means I have to lose the election. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd rather you be angry with me then um, while I'm doing the best thing. Um, So the borders would have been closed uh, much earlier than we actually closed them. And they would have been closed because when we did initially close them, we closed them to like, we closed them to weird countries. We closed them to like Iran. Iran was one of the countries that was listed. It's like, we don't have no flights (laughs) from Iran. We don't have no people coming from Iran. We'll be closing our borders to Iran for and I get that Iran was having a serious problem with the virus at the time, but who coming from Iran? Um, mm-hmm. So I would have been more realistic. And, well, flights to the U.S. Uh, uh, most, we, most of our flights are from the eastern seaboard. You know, most of them would have been discontinued with the exception of Florida. And that would have mm-hmm. solely been to ensure that uh, visitors can leave and citizens can enter. So my first steps would have been to acquire test kits, um, close the borders immediately, and subsequently go about <laughs> go about wide-scale testing. Mm-hmm. You know, with with strict with strict, I wouldn't necessarily say a complete lockdown. I I, because you know, if we had closed our borders early enough, we would have never really had to go and go through a complete lockdown, um, mm-hmm. because our country is just so small. However, you know, some freedom of movements would have had to be taken away. You know, yeah. you would not have. And minutes, uh, we we keep joking and we say, "Oh, ministers act like like the virus could only spread at night," but we keep disregarding the fact that no, the virus is not only spread at night, but when you get off from work and not just on the weekend, daily, when you get off, when people get off from work, they crowd at bars and they're at mm-hmm. bars until late at night. And I, I mean, from, not that I would know anything about that, but you know, allegedly. Well, I, well, I would know. <laughs> <laughs> I got no shame. That's a good Anglican. I would know. Hmm. And... And, you know, we, we have to accept the fact that we are people. We, like, be up underneath each other. You personally, and not necessarily you, but, like, speaking, you know, to the people who are making the remarks, you personally may not be one of those people, but we like to crowd around the watering hole for no reason. Um, God help if we have a reason. And these things typically happen in the evening and at night. You know, yep. there there is validation behind it, and so I I I would have I would have I would have done those things and kept a few stuff that he did. Those would be the first things that I did. You know, if I was in that position, um, fair enough. I admire Jacinda's approach because mm-hmm. you know, you know everything that she did. I think I would have done if I was if I was a leader. You know, almost everything. Minus the complete lockdown. And that's just because, you know, if we close our borders early enough, we would have avoided the the need to have a complete lockdown. Our country, our population is just so small. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think the first thing that I would have done to cop out from using a policy-related answer, I would have assembled my Ministry of Foreign Affairs team, my best advisors, sit down and say, guys, this is an issue. However, we don't have to act like we have to deal with this alone. So the first call that you're going to make, get me the number or the contact of somebody in Italy. And I'm only picking on Italy because their struggles with the coronavirus in particular was was right, global news. Um, But I'm thinking of those European countries that were really slammed, but were starting to get the hang of their first response. I'd say, give me their contacts. Let's have a conversation with them. And on those calls, I would be asking, what's the one thing, what are the two things you would have done differently if you could start this over? What did you learn as you started to address this? Uh, We're starting at zero cases here. We're going to have our first one soon in all likelihood. What should we do? Like, what would you have done? And just sit back and listen. I mean, it's not only the Bahamas that has to deal with COVID, right? So you have those conversations. You kind of look over your shoulder and, and look at the test next to you, the student taking the test, and see what you could learn. I mean, I just feel like we took an approach, and granted, we don't know all the conversations that were happening internationally or between countries at the beginning. That's top secret information. But I feel like too many times we were like, all right, let's reinvent the wheel. Like that grocery shopping thing, I don't know where we got that idea from or if it was a proprietary kind of thing. Because I think uh, Barbados... Cayman Islands, Cayman Islands um, implemented it first. Okay, so Cayman Islands, Cayman Islands did, it first. did it Then we did it, and then Barbados did it. That was so, a good idea. That was a good idea. Now, but, but here's what I'll say about great that. Great idea. We and, but, but it was a great idea. The issue with that was not the government. And I hate how, I hate how everybody put it on the government. The issue is not the government. The issue was the stores and their lack of implementing the rules. Because had the stores simply implemented the rules properly, there would have been no mix-up. I blame the yeah, stores. But I put I'll all take, onus on the I'll, stores for that. I'll raise you another point on that, however. Because my issue with the entire process with the grocery stores wasn't that they were restricting the times in which people could go in. It's because me, someone who studies communications, marketing, and advertising, there's a difference between what you have to think of when you're creating a policy in a hypothetical world and then what you actually implement, taking into account how people understand information. That whole thing about, uh, you know, persons with this last name go at this time and that not. And there were like three times a day at the beginning, three blocks what did you expect to happen when people started showing up and then they get to the door and it's like, oh, no, well, your last name, it ain't time for you to come in yet. I thought that part of it was really asinine. I thought we could have found a smarter way of doing it. And if even if, if the smarter way... can understand that a certain amount of people, when they're, when they're traveling, if they understand that only Group A is boarding at this time, I don't understand why they don't... Uh, Ah, but that's not, a, that's not a good example because if you've ever been in, air, in an airport, you see people trying to jump that line all the time. Willingly. They choose to do it because they want yeah. to, not because they don't understand the principle. And that's what mm. I'm saying. Bahamians understood. I know, if I, I know that I'm not supposed to go today. I choose yeah. to go today outside of my turn. The store is now letting me in and it causes an up an outrage when somebody who knows me say, hold on, his last name don't begin with A. 
through F. And right now it's supposed to be A yep. through F. How come you letting them in? If you letting them in, then you need to let all us in. And that was the issue. The issue was that there was no adherence to the adherence to the policy by those who should have who should have um 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 had the the structures in place to simply follow through with what was given to them by the government. You're referring to the you business have, owners. You have the security guards there. All right, the security guards ask for your ID. That's it. I'm sorry, you can't come in today. If they have an issue, call the police. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that, then that, that should not don't have forget been the this. disaster that it that it. But don't forget into. this: we talk about enforcement. You also have to remember that it takes a long time for instructions to reach their intended target. We're talking to a whole nation right here. We have the benefit of having WhatsApp, Twitter, Facebook. You choose your favorite social network, right? We get those colorful designs. And look, at this time, let me shout out the communications team at OPM. Okay, like I know some of those folks, they're working hard and ain't nobody could tell me that this pandemic would have been um, handled better without their involvement. I cannot accept that. So we have the colorful graphics in our inboxes and we're able to look at the information and decipher it. You realize how many behemoths can read? And I know that we can't just continue to make policy decisions based on our own failures as a country. But my God, it was like those rules came in and then in the next day or two, we were expecting people to fiercely adhere to them. People, Grammy was on those lines and they were being turned away. I'm not saying that you can't have law and order, but I am saying that you need to anticipate that the people you want to lead are not going to be in lockstep every second with the latest information. And you know what happened when the thing wasn't working? They changed the instructions like three days later. And then they change it again. And then they change it again and again. So people have all these different flyers and different bits of information in their head about what to do. And what was lacking in all of this was consistency and proactive planning. If you had just chosen one direction and stuck with it, unless, I mean, unless it was like a real travesty, I think you could have had better results. I still, I still, I, I cannot put that on the government. There was one plan, that one plan was implemented, and I don't care what anybody says, that grocery shopping schedule, that was a great initiative. It was not followed through by the food stores. The food stores turned that entire thing into a big debacle, and they allowed the government to take the blame for it while they just sat there silently. And, mm. and, and you know... I can't argue Grammy, with that. Grammy get turned away because Grammy wasn't supposed to be on the line. Grammy yeah. has every day. What, didn't like seniors have like whatever seniors had like what every day between the it hours was like of six, after six to yeah, nine, something every, like that. Grammy, you had every day six to nine. <laughs> only you, only you. Nobody uh, else. Only seniors. Only seniors can go. Why you had five o'clock in the evening for your yeah. daughter or your son to come? What y'all turn away? Uh, it take them. Take them a while to get out of bed. Mommy, okay. We, t- we turn away your mommy because your mommy shouldn't be in here. Oh, jeez. And you know your mommy shouldn't be in here. And you just as bad for sending your ma here. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we're still talking in an ideal world and not the Commonwealth of the Bahamas that we live in where people are hard we? So how do we change our society where we can be... We can give simple instructions like A through F today, G through M tomorrow... 
Um, and live in a Bahamas where people don't have an issue with something seemingly as simple as that. How do we That's then a go? great question. Because, because we need a cultural shift. Mm-hmm. And we don't just need it for grocery shopping. We need it for everything. Education, healthcare, um, how we accept, the, how, we accept uh, how we're governed. We need a cultural shift, you know, just across the board entirely. So how do we go about changing our culture and shifting our society's mindset? You know, you made an incredible segue, and you didn't even know why. Well, I'll tell you how we make that change happen, or at least how we start to do it. And it doesn't start with a specific policy suggestion, even though I'm sure we could rattle off policies all day and areas that we need to improve. Mm -hmm. It starts with providing a platform like this. The reason we're even on this call today is because the three of us Jason Denzel and Chris, in no particular order, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, Denzel had some issues today. But the reason we're doing something like this is because all of us are tired of being annoyed and frustrated with the way our country is going, Um, the way that political parties seem to prioritize their campaigning over talking about the issues and solutions to those issues that will change the direction of our country in a lasting and meaningful way. And our idea so far is to start a network that kind of realigns our political priorities. And that sounds like a big deal or a big thing, but it's really very simple. It means not letting the only political engagement in this country be what you do every five years voting at a ballot box. Because even if you vote for somebody uh, and your favorite wins or your favorite loses, (laughs) at some point, you have to accept that you're being governed by somebody else. Uh, But that doesn't mean you can't influence what they do or what they support and don't support, right? So creating a platform where particularly young people who want to have a greater impact, an impact beyond their size as a demographic, where we can really share ideas, make some noise, and make some changes at the same time, that's important. And this is not going to be the only time that... We have conversations like these. These won't even be the only people that we'll be talking to. We anticipate that this is going to grow very quickly. And whether it's an overnight success or it takes a little bit of time, that depends on what first became in Twitter and then the general public of the Bahamas is willing to do. How far are you willing to go to ensure that there is significant political change in this country? And if the answer is, I'm ready to do this, I'm ready to go far, this is something that you should consider tuning into. You should consider giving feedback towards um, because there's no way we're going to be able to shift the culture if it's just a one-man, two-man, three-man thing. So with that, I don't want to take too much time out of your day, Chris, out of Denzel's day, even though he's somehow dropped off the call again. (laughs) I just want to thank persons who are going to hear this recording for listening and tell them that they're going to hear more from all of us very soon. And Chris, you have any parting words? Do you want to drop a blessing? Um, feel the fire burning in my soul. You know? Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, 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 haven't no, even no, gotten no. to that point yet. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, in all seriousness, um, 
I think it's time that we reevaluate ourselves as a people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I recently did an interview with ZNS and I ended with saying that we need to look at how we govern ourselves and yep. the way we go about our politics. And I meant that entirely because we mm-hmm. need, as I said earlier, a cultural shift. And we need a societal um, change of mindset into one whereas we're no longer accepting of mediocrity and, you know, the business as usual. Because the business as usual is not working for us. And we have to get out of that mindset whereas because we've been dealing with business as usual for so long that the minute somebody challenges business as usual, we deem them as a problem as opposed to looking back at the situation and saying, wow, maybe business as usual is the issue. So hopefully, you know, these conversations can spur or be the catalyst of that societal and cultural change that we so desperately need here in these Commonwealth of the Bahama Islands established 1969. And hopefully we'll be a lot around for a long time after this. Hopefully. So, Chris, thank you. That was a great ending. And just give us some time. We can work out the kinks. Uh, we're going to have the proper Denzel microphones and whatnot. Uh, boy, Denzel, I don't know if he believes in best or what he uses for his Wi-Fi solutions. Hint, hint, alive. You might want to think about sponsoring this man something. But we'll be back <laughs> later. Give us, some, give us some time. We'll sort it all out. Um, But until next time, thank everybody for listening.